Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. In recent uh, year, well, probably the last century or so, people have turned to science in particular um, as the you know arbitrator of, of truth of of knowledge and um, you know we talk about scientific evidence you know if there's scientific evidence for for something then um, you know that's the more or less the the gold standard and of course when it comes to origins and and uh, why we're here again for a long time now um, you know for decades people have said, well, you know, science has essentially proved evolution. Well, I, I really challenge that in terms of, sure, there was a time when the scientific theory of evolution certainly seemed to dominate, but that was because many people who were defending the creation position at the time did not have a deep understanding of science. We have a much, much greater understanding uh, a scientific understanding of living things now, and, and particularly us and humans and um, and our brain, um, and also understanding you know the brains and the and in particular the biochemistry of all living things to the point as you know I mentioned many times in the programs previously the uh, Darwinian style evolution where random mutations produce new types of body parts and new organs and new organisms is absolutely impossible. And I'm using this word absolutely, you know, uh, and I can't stress that um, strong enough. Um, It is absolutely impossible for random mutations in nature to produce changes to the DNA code that would um, result in successful new body parts that are totally functioning um, and uh, totally operational, let alone the impossibility of non-living molecules coming together to form some sort of living organism with a reproductive uh, mechanism uh, that will enable it to reproduce um, the same sort of organism or even a similar organism that could survive and hence multiply. The, The chemistry involved is so complex. The reactions that are involved in synthesizing, that is creating the new molecules that are responsible to build the structures um, inside the living cells, the different membranes, um, the the different uh, ion channels and, and so forth that are required uh, for nutrients uh, to, to travel for, um, you know, for so many things. And let alone the formation of uh, what we know now as DNA and a, a, mo- a, mo- a molecule which has... Um, uh, encodes a, a language, a chemical language that describes the structure and function and the components of uh, an organism. And, uh, you know, to have that code, and again, the, the code reader, we know it's absolutely um, impossible. And so here, I, as we, you know, in this current era, we're still having children taught 
the theory of evolution. Why? Because they don't want to teach the people about God because they say, well, which which God are we going to follow? You know, is it the, the Christian God or the Hindu gods or the, you know, we, Buddhist, uh, you know, position, there's all these different um, positions. And, of course, um, I think there's a powerful evidence, you know, supporting the Bible, the Bible account compared to the accounts of um, uh, other uh, religious uh, documents. And the Bible has a, a special claims. It claims that the people that wrote the Bible, their minds were inspired by God. Their minds were uh, directed by God to write these messages to warn people. And, of course, people often scoff, you know, what about the stories of the flood and Adam and Eve and this sort of thing. But perhaps they forget that we think that Adam lived, you know, over 900 years. Methuselah lived well over 900 years and Noah 900 years or so too. And those three generations, so Methuselah was alive during the time of Adam and he was also alive during the time of Noah. And so he could pass on to Noah details and, and those stories would have been passed on as to what the world was like before the fall and also the stories of the Satan that there was an evil one. There was an evil mind that challenged God. Part of the uh, creation that God had created earlier in, in heaven uh, who's part of the, the angels that challenged God and, and God's um, you know authority there. So there was this rebellion in, in heaven. And, you know, this so much explains uh, the origin of, of evil too. The biblical account for the origin of evil makes so much sense. And we see the behavior of characters um, that uh, are described in the Bible um, and include, you know, some of the heroes of the Bible are described with their shortcomings. You know, the old expression, warts and all, or worse than warts. Uh, some of the things that they did were, were really bad. But they repented. They changed. Uh, they recognized that there was this superior intelligence, this superior intelligence that designed all the living systems, that designed us, that designed, you know, the, 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 the bees and the amazing... Um, you know, uh, systems that and biochemistry that is in, in bees. You know, if you go through the, the programs of Faith and Science, a few programs ago I talked about bees. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing when you just think that, you know, the, the worker bees have these glands in their head that produce um, the royal jelly. If they feed the royal jelly to a little larvae, um, it will grow into a queen. Now, you know, that all sounds really good. But you've got to think of the, the chemistry, the biochemistry. That has to be designed. The enzyme systems have to be there present to synthesize and or to, to um, enable the reactions to go that synthesize the uh, royal jelly. And the royal jelly has to have these characteristics that it um, affects as the little um, larvae is growing. It affects its biochemistry so that it develops the reproductive system of a queen bee and the structure of a queen bee, not a worker bee. Um, and we can see that these molecules have all sorts of programming interactions that they interact. They switch on and off other genes, the genes that are already there in the codes. Some are switched on, some are switched off. There's amazing complexity. It, it, reeks of design, it reeks of, of programming, complex programming, 
not some arbitrary random mutation. And we're just talking about one tiny little feature in nature, the little glands on the head of a little worker bee that create the royal jelly. And how, again, the chemistry is involved if the little uh, bee larva is fed uh, bee bread, a mixture of uh, pollen and nectar, um, and uh, all the larvae is fed a little bit of royal jelly for the first day or so, a couple of days, when they're fed the, um, the the bee bread pollen nectar mixture, it regulate it switches on different genes and they become a worker bee. You know this this whole switching mechanism just just reeks of intelligent design, super intelligent design. And if there's that super intelligent designer, and I think we all have this sense of morality when we see something really bad has happened to uh, to a, an innocent child or you know um, you know a, a harmless uh, sort of animal or something like that you know we we have this sensitivity that that is wrong that shouldn't have been done those people who shouldn't have been doing those bad things we have this sense of of morality that is there we have a sense of morality that's wrong to you know steal from people wrong to take other people's things and essentially the Bible sets it out as the Ten Commandments and we can, we can see essentially for most of those commandments that we can uh, see, they're, they're intuitively and our conscience is programmed to that, to this right and wrong. And so it explains evil, but the Bible goes further than that. It says we are to worship God. We are to remember God every seven days on the Sabbath day. Um, we are to remember God. And we know which day the Sabbath day is because that's the day that the Jews had kept, that the Jews were keeping um, in Jesus' time and that Jesus kept the, the Sabbath day. He even kept the Sabbath day in, in the tomb, so to speak. And so we have this alignment. We know that, you know, that's the day after Good Friday. We know it's the Saturday. So there are so many things that we can align. I was listening to... Uh, a program uh, just recently on the on the Book of Esther and the historical evidence from the you know Persian history and so forth that correlates with the historical record in in the Bible, and um, I have a uh, uh, a book uh, with me now in the studio. It's called A Defense of the Bible, a third edition by Dr. Gary Baxter. And um, he has a very big section there on archaeology and the archaeological evidence that supports the accurate history in the Bible and how they're found, you know, little pieces of jewellery and, and other uh, tablets and inscriptions that go right back and quote through even the very old books of the Old uh, Testament that go back way before the the time of Christ. The other thing that is happening, of course, in our world today that is really challenging um, is that people, in some sense, are, are now questioning and challenging science. We're being bombarded almost um, daily, it seems, in the news and different protests about uh, climate change and global warming and all this sort of thing. And it was interesting to note that just the other year, in um, 2020, um, in the journal Temperature, uh, Medical Physiology and Beyond, there was an article by Valentina Sarkova, um, and um, I think they're at the um, University of Newcastle on Tyne, 
and um, it was it was talking about a modern grand solder minimum will lead to terrestrial cooling. Um, and it, it, it's quite fascinating how, you know, we hear a lot about, um, you know, carbon emissions and cutting down, you know, burning uh, fossil fuels and this sort of thing. And, um, yeah, my own personal view is, sure, we, we are getting global warming uh, through the greenhouse effect from the greenhouse gases such as carbon dioxide. But one of the things that concerns me is, not so much the burning of fossil fuels, but the cutting down of the forests, the clearing of massive amounts of forests because forests take the carbon dioxide and they, you know, convert it into carbohydrates they ma- and they make it into wood and they store it. And, of course, all our food comes from that carbon dioxide too. Um, all our food is, comes from the carbon dioxide uh, cycle that is made by plants. Uh, all the food comes from plants originally. If people eat meat, they're eating somewhere along the line. That animal has eaten an animal or has eaten grass or has eaten an animal that has eaten grass So, um, and plants. And so essentially all our food comes via this uh, cycle from, from carbon dioxide. And I think we have a, a far greater um, need to, uh, to incorporate responsibility. People have to be, you know, personally responsible um, and, um, and in terms of, of, of companies as well have to have moral responsibility against clearing vast amount of forests. And I think one of the things is we can see that greediness is destroying our world. The whole thing is, is greediness um, and breaking the, the laws and not being environmental uh, stewards. But one of the other fascinating things is, of course, um, as pointed out by this paper, is that we neglect the fact that our heat comes from the sun. And um, there have been uh, times in the past when there, you know, there have been, um, you know, ice age. There was a general ice age, um, I think I remember reading from about 1250 through to about 1850. And there was a particular ice age in, in, um, in Europe um, in the uh, late 1500s to the 1600s, I think. Was somewhere around that, that period, I might be out by a century uh, but it was a particularly cold period uh, that was uh, referred to, uh, you know, has a particular name, the Menanda Minimum um, that was uh, recorded back then. So you can look up these solar minimums. But one of the things, of course, is that brings another effect is that the sunspot and the uh, magnetic fields of the sun are changing. And they change, and that changes our solar radiation, that changes our cosmic ray radiation. So it changes the amount of radiation reaches the Earth and the amount of temperature that we can rise. And, and there's a lot of debate in science about how important will these changes in solar radiation. So it looks like we're heading now towards a solar cycle of solar minimum where the radiation from the sun will reduce. Um, and there are a lot of different cycles. Some of them are, are still disputed. Uh, scientists have uh, been looking at different cycles of you know a couple of hundred years, some 90 years, and then, of course, shorter cycles of 11 years and, and so forth. Um, and so we know that there are a number of, of solar cycles and they affect this activity. They affect the solar radiation that the Earth receives. They affect the cosmic ray radiation that Earth has 
uh, receives. And of course, this interferes with any attempts to carbon-14 date as well, because that dating, the level of carbon-14 in the atmosphere depends on the solar radiation, the cosmic rays from the, uh, from the sun uh, that are hitting, hitting the Earth at that time. And so that's why, again, Carbon-14 um, uh, dating, again, it depends on the variation. You know, we have variations in the cosmic rays uh, producing a level of carbon-14. We have variations in the Earth magnetic field that repel the, uh, the, most of the cosmic rays and protect us from more damage from them. Um, and so this is why, you know, carbon-14 uh, dating and these long dates that are, that are claimed um, really can't be substantiated. But we know that carbon-14 has a particular half-life of 5,727 years, I think it is, that uh, you know, it shows us that if we're detecting carbon-14 in these dinosaur remains and these sort of things, they can only be thousands of years old. They can't be millions of years old. So all this evidence, again, is pointing to confirm um, the the Bible, but again, these there's a scientist debate. Um, you know whether the uh, the Earth now will go into a cooling period, whether it uh, how you know how much effect it will have on the, um, the the effect of the increase of carbon dioxide emissions and all this sort of thing becomes very controversial. And again. We have the scientists arguing between themselves. And it seems to me, and I've observed this from some time, for some time now, it depends on the worldview of the scientist. If you have a scientist and his worldview is that he's enamoured with global warming, he's going to interpret what he sees in terms of mechanisms that are going to support that theory. And it's the same with the theory of evolution. Another one, um, a friend of mine... Um, brought to my attention uh, a book that was published at uh, the end of uh, 2021, November 2021. It was called The Real Anthony Falsi. Um, it was a book by uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the uh, nephew of um, uh, the late uh, John F. Kennedy, I think. Um, and uh, he was a... Um, uh, he, he was an author that was named uh, some years ago as Time Magazine's hero, one of Time Magazine's heroes for the planet, uh, for his success uh, in helping the Riverkeeper project uh, lead to fight to restore the Hudson River. And um, he is a resolute defender of children's uh, health. Um, he uh, had a landmark victory against Monsanto, as uh, well as in the do. DuPont case, which um, actually inspired the movie Dark Waters back in 2019. And it's interesting, he's published this uh, book, which um, again talks about, um, um, you know, manipulation and um, I don't know whether you go so far as to call it as, as corruption, but certainly manipulation by the, the drug industry over uh, how you know, COVID is treated and, and this sort of thing. Gets a lot of reviews. I was interested in, um, I haven't read the book, um, but uh, as I said, it was only brought to my attention a few days ago. Um, and anyone that's interested in looking it up on Amazon, uh, it's called The Real Anthony Falsi. 
Um, but apparently it's heavily re- referenced. But one of the reviews that I was interested in was by Luc Montagna. Now, he was a Nobel laureate for physiology. He run, He was one of the guys that developed, uh, he's a virologist, he was one of the guys that developed um, the su- really successful uh, treatment against uh, AIDS. And um, in his review... Luck, uh, Professor Luck Montagna uh, writes, unfortunately he's dead now, I think, but uh, died just recently, but he writes, Dr. Joseph Goebbels, who was from the, um, you know, one of the Nazi uh, propaganda specialists, wrote, a lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. His review goes on, tragically for humanity, there are many, many untruths emanating from Fauci and his minions. RFK Jr. exposes the decade of lies. So it sounds like it's an interesting book, but the point I want to make is this, that we find there's a growing number of people that are saying, well, look, we can't trust science. Science has become politicised. Um, there are political agendas underpinning science. And, um, you know, to me, this, this flagged a red light, for example, during the, you know, the COVID situation when, you know, in certain countries, the use of uh, the, the drug ivermectin uh, was, was banned um, uh, to treat it, despite, for example, a major re- review being published of a number of studies of the use of ivermectin and how um, uh, in, in the treatment of uh, COVID that was published by researchers from the University of Newcastle and on time. Um, again, and uh, they, they were, there was a meta-analysis that was published. Um, and again, the fact that the ivermectin drug is relatively harmless. You know, it's quite a, a safe drug uh, to, uh, to use in terms of side effects. To me, that just, you know, ran red lights. Uh, that, you know, something is coming on. And I think there's a growing sense in the community. I've read, I've rather spoken to other people too that sense that there's something isn't right. And I think really the Bible tells us that not only is the Bible accurately about the past, the Bible is accurate about the future. And it's amazing when you consider the prophecy that was given to Daniel Hundreds of years before Christ, Daniel, who was the um, uh, advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, that famous Babylonian king that built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, of course, and founded the Babylonian um, Empire, uh, really expanded it. Um, Daniel was one of his advisors. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, had this amazing dream. And in order to have the dream interpreted correctly, he said to his advisors, you have to tell me what I dreamt then I know you can interpret the dream. And, of course, Daniel, one of his advisors, prayed to God and God revealed the dream to him. Daniel was able to go to Nebuchadnezzar, reveal the dream. And, um, of course, that was amazing. It was, and it's been recorded. And that dream predicted that history of Europe there from the time of Nebuchadnezzar right through to the coming, the second coming of Jesus. And it talks about how Europe will never be, Europe would follow on from the Roman Empire, but as a number of smaller countries would never be united. And in the days of those kings, God would return and destroy the earth because people have been, we are destroying the earth as humans, ourselves. And um, 
And that's when the second coming of Jesus comes. And we know that this situation, the unsettled things that are happening around the earth, among people around the earth in all the different countries today, there's this sense of unsettledness that something is not right. And part of that is this loss of credibility of science in many areas. And I think one of the things underpinning this is the continual teaching of evolution despite the overwhelming evidence that we have that evolution is absolutely impossible. And what happens is people that speak out, scientists that speak out against these different things, um, and a whole lot of areas have become political, politicised, you know, gender and all these sort of other areas. Scientists that speak out on the basis of science are being closed down. And... Um, and so here we know that it's, it's, it's politics. And truth isn't determined by the number of votes. And I think it's fascinating when we think of what Goebbels wrote. A lie that is told a thousand times becomes the truth. And this has become so relevant and it, it's become so real in areas like evolution, gender studies, different things like this at the uh, present time. And so it makes it very hard for people who um, are not scientifically trained to understand what is the truth, what is real, what, and climate, you know, what, what's really happening with climate, what really are the important issues um, in, in regard to preserving the earth and being a good steward of earth. But one of the things that we can hold on to is the Bible. And that's the important thing that we need to really, really understand, that the Bible was inspired by God. It sets out the future. Science can't tell us the future. I'm oh, sure it can predict the path of a rocket or a satellite and so forth. And, uh, you know, the, an object under the influence of a magnetic field and these sort of things. Because we have laws. We have laws that were set up by God. And, you know, as some of our leading, you know, scientists, astrophysicists like Paul Davies point out, what's the origin of the laws that govern the universe? You know, they come from God. And this is the beauty. The Bible explains why we are here. We were created by God because he wanted to create beings that he could love and would love him back. And really the bottom line is we've stuffed it up. We have being influenced by evil. Um, our, it seems our genes have been influenced by evil. But God offers us that opportunity to change through power, through the supernatural power that comes through believing in Jesus Christ as God and Saviour. And people say, well, why should I be? You know, Jesus Christ was a man. Well, no, when we read the Bible account, Jesus Christ was God. God came as a man. And that's why he was able to resurrect himself and, um, and appear to those disciples. And we have all those witnesses at that time. It's an amazing story that top scientists, top philosophers in the, in the world um, have read and see. This is an amazing story. It fits, or the account, it fits, it works. And millions of Christians testify to the change in their lives when they came to know God, as portrayed by Jesus Christ, this wonderful person that came that brought healing, performed miraculous healing, lifted people up, raised them up, encouraged them, and changed their lives to the better and the good. An amazing person was really God. And when we believe that, when we choose that, and we choose, 
I want to be a friend of Jesus. I want to be in his kingdom. God performs a change on us that enables us to become new people, uh, people that we can um, and have that fellowship with, with God. And God one day will come again and he will take us to be with him forever and be able to fellowship with him forever. That's the amazing message of good news that the Bible has for us. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you want to re-listen this program, you just Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the radio button and you'll see the programs there to click on the different programs. And of course, they have some wonderful TV programs too. And remember to tell your friends about these websites and that they can listen to the programs too. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 